A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. It's more like Boris Karloff. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's all happening as we enter day two of the election campaign. That's right, we are only two days into a five-week campaign. And the only dilemma is where to begin. Former Minister in Gordon Brown aide Ian Austin has quit the Labour Party and is urging everyone to vote for the Tory party. You would have heard him on Julie Hartley Brewer's show and we'll be listening to some of what he had to say as well. Labour's Deputy Leader Tom Watson surprisingly quit his job last night and declared that he wouldn't be running in the election next month. Is there a bigger story behind him leaving the party that he's been a member of practically since he was a boy, or is it simply uh, that he ran out of road with the Corbynistas? Boris Johnson launched his party's campaign last night and was immediately mired in a resignation scandal from his own cabinet, and the Remain parties have launched a new pact to safeguard the anti-Brexit vote. Today, there's more action from Scotland, where the Prime Minister is dropping in, and Jeremy Corbyn will be unveiling a Labour bus in Liverpool. I wonder what it's going to say on the side. 0344-499-1000. Coming up, we'll be asking why the Tories are so frightened of the report on Russian interference, why e-cigarettes are definitely bad for you, despite what Public Health England say, and we'll be asking you for your favourite Brexit-related words after the Collins Dictionary has added Ramona's and milkshaking into their latest edition. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So imagine the scene, right? Boris Johnson decides to go and see the Queen. Uh, Everybody knows why he's going to see the Queen. Uh, He puts out a video saying why he's going to see the Queen. Uh, He then asks the Queen to dissolve Parliament, which everybody knew was pretty much already dissolved anyway. He then goes back to Downing Street to announce that he is going to have an election, which everybody knew. Uh, He then says these are going to be the main reasons why you should be voting for me, uh, which are all the same reasons he said that we should have in the Queen's speech. So not much new there. Uh, And as if by magic, that was immediately overshadowed a few moments before he made that announcement by the resignation uh, of a member of the Cabinet uh, over a very complicated story to do with a rape trial in Wales. Uh, Then Tom Watson decides to quit as Deputy Leader of the Labour Party and blows everybody else out of the water. So if you were a Tory press person, I suppose this morning you'd be going, well, I suppose it could have been worse, but I'm not quite sure how. John Rental is here, uh, political commentator, of course, at The Independent. John, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Now, I know this is only day two, um, but I have to say it feels like about day 22 already, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, the, the election did come upon us rather suddenly. Yeah. Because uh, uh, I, was, I was still confidently telling you, I think, that uh, I didn't think there would be an election right. before Christmas. 
Uh, and then suddenly Joe Swinson uh, turned tail, betrayed the Labour Party and uh, said, uh, said, all right, let's have one. And ever since then, it's felt like full full-fat uh, election campaigning. Yeah, it so really it has. Does, it does feel like it's been going on for a while. But it also feels, because of the issues involved, and particularly Brexit as the issue, that all of the kind of uh, main planks of anybody's manifesto we've all been talking about for weeks on end anyway. Yes, that's right. And, you know, when Boris Johnson did his speech last night, which uh, I watched before I knew about Tom Watson's yes. um, resignation, um, it was just the same old... Uh, same old Boris Johnson lines. I mean, some of them are quite amusing about uh, you, you know uh, uh, bendy bus jackknifing yeah. in the in, in the yellow box junction. Um, but it, I had heard it all before, mm. um, and uh, so I was tearing my hair out as to what I was going to write about. It. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then, of course, Tom Watson provided the the next story. I mean, yeah. it has been a story rich environment. It really uh, has. I mean, I was journalist. I was out when I got the old alert on my phone. It was one of those I had to read like three times because I thought, well, hang on a minute, <laughs> Tom Watson's quitting. What, what do you mean? What's, he's not, what he's leaving the Labour Party? He, oh, he's going to stand as an independent? No, no, he's not going to stand. He's just no. leaving politics altogether. I he's find had this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, do you know if there's anything else to this story? As far I mean, I know that the whole Carl Beach thing kind of consumed him, um, and, he, and he and he looked a lot worse coming out of that than he went going into it. Um, yeah. But surely, is it just the fact that he's 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 given up the fight, as it were, against the left part of the party? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know Tom Watson very well. Um, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a Blairite. He was a Brownite, right. and you know, so we haven't seen eye to eye for. A while, but I mean, of course, one of the interesting things that's happened over the past four years has been the Blairites and the Brownites yeah. uh, coming back together, and he's been quite central to that. Um, but no, I mean, I, I, I hear from from friends of his that uh, you know he's just completely fed up with politics and uh, and wants out. Um, and but I th- I should think you know you you can you can see that he thinks that whichever way this election goes, there's not really much of a role for him. I mean, either. Either Labour loses, in which case Corbyn Corbyn will probably have to go. Um, but you know, and, th- and then you know, what would what would Tom Watson do? I mean, he wouldn't be a candidate probably. So uh, yeah, but it seems odd, him. doesn't it? Because mate, you, you would have thought that perhaps his his final opportunity to be the leader of the Labour Party would be in the event of Labour not winning this election um, and Corbyn standing down, and him having an opportunity to say, well, the reason why we didn't win is because we went too far left. And so if you stay with me. And I will lead you yeah. to the next. You know, I would have thought you might have hung around for that. No, I think I think the next leader after Jeremy Corbyn is going to be someone who can who can bring the party together, someone who could pose as something something of a left winger without uh, uh, without being quite so uh, so so Corbynized. Mm. Um, and I, do, I just don't think that is that is Tom Watson. And as you say, um, all that stuff about um, you know the, the VIP paedophile ring conspiracy that he 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 promoted massive misjudgment uh, did, wasn't it did suggest that his judgment is not is not great so i think i mean i do think you know in a way it's sensible for him to move on yes i think so um, i mean i think anyone who got themselves involved in promoting that was absolutely wrong and should never have been allowed to do it but let's talk about ian austin now as well because he was on julie Hardy well, Brewer's I... show this morning let's just have a listen to him uh, and what he said to julia there's a big choice at this election there's only two people who can be prime minister only two and the British people are going to have to decide, Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn. And I think Jeremy Corbyn's completely unfit to lead the country. And uh, so it gives me, gives me no pleasure at this at all. It's been a really tough decision. But in the end, I think you've got to stand up and you've got to tell the truth. And you've got to do what's right. 
And I think that's uh, that's why I've decided the choice people have got to make, I think, is to vote for Boris Johnson. Incredibly emotional, uh, Ian Austin, this morning when he was speaking to Julie Hartley Brewer. Clearly has been wrestling with his conscience over this, John, but, but also a yeah. remarkable turn of events, right? Um, yes, no, I mean, I salute his, his honesty and his, um, his clear thinking, because, I mean, if you do think Jeremy Corbyn is, uh, is unfit to, Prime Minister, to be Prime Minister, then there is only one conclusion to draw. And, uh, you know, he's, he's brave enough to draw it in, in public and tell people so. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, Tom Harris, another yeah, former, former Labour MP, um, you know, who I, uh, who I rather like and admire, he's, he's come out this morning and said the same thing. That yeah. he, would, he would rather have Boris Johnson as Prime Minister than, than Jeremy Corbyn. And so the landscape for Jeremy Corbyn and Labour is is not looking terrific. I mean, we know, well, we might as well mention it right at the top, we know that the polls can be wrong. They've been wrong in the past. Um, even, yeah. even with the Tories slipping back slightly today, they're still 11 points ahead of Labour. Um, it's quite a large gap, isn't it? It is. I mean, but, I mean we shouldn't allow polls to, to, to dominate the coverage of the election. No. And I'd actually... You know, journalists are not allowing that to happen because they're constantly talking up the possibility of a hung parliament, which you know the, the, the polls are not pointing to at all. But mm. I mean, I think that's a good thing. I mean, I do think people ought to be paying attention to the, the full range of, uh, of possible outcomes and uh, and you know the dangers of uh, of a Jeremy Corbyn government mm. as, as people like Ian Austin see them. And I think, um, you know, one of the things about the last election was that people didn't take that possibility seriously enough and didn't uh, ask tough questions about it. But I mean, I do think, I do think Ian Austin's uh, intervention is, is hugely significant. I mean, it makes, you know, there was an awful lot of stuff yesterday about how the, how the Tory campaign was going very badly yeah. uh, because there was a row about, you know, Jacob Rees-Mogg saying something incredibly insensitive yeah. and stupid. But I mean, it wasn't, I mean, that wasn't a substantial event. Whereas, you know, a Labour MP uh, like Ian Austin saying vote Tory, yeah. I mean, I do think that is a significant event. Yes, absolutely, because most people in the world of politics, if they disagree with their leadership, they step down, they step aside, but they don't tell uh, their voters to vote for the other guy, do they? No, I mean, it's fairly <laughs> unusual. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, I mean, are, uh, we, are we in this kind of, you know, leave-remain territory still in terms of the issues? Because I talk to, obviously, as you do, an awful lot of people uh, over the course of uh, this week and, and the next four weeks, basically, and I can't get a sort of definitive answer as to will this be a Brexit election? Will there be other issues uh, uh, that the Labour Party tried to introduce and which will then become part of the, of the whole? Uh, we've got a launch today of uh, a sort of Remain alliance from Plaid Cymru to the Lib Dems, everybody really apart from the Labour Party. And I yeah. suppose I'm asking you, is it, is it going to break down along kind of Leave Remain lines, do you think? Yes, I do, I do think uh, much more than even last time, which did see a, a, a certain amount of polarisation. But I think, uh, you know, because Brexit is much more of an immediate question now. I mean, as, as, as Boris Johnson says, you know, he has a deal, it's oven ready. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as soon as he gets back into Downing Street, if he does... You know that we can. We he'll be pressing the button on mm. that and, and, and going straight ahead. So therefore, you know, at the last election, you know, the deal still hadn't been negotiated. Nobody knew what was going to going to happen. We were some way away from the uh, f from the Article 50 deadline. But this time, it's it, it is a pressing question. And so, although I think other issues will come up, 
I do think this is going to be much more of a Brexit election than mm. last time. And how do you see the Brexit party's role kind of panning out? Because there's already a split in the Brexit vote um, from the right side of the Brexiteers to the sort of central side of the, the, the Boris deal yeah. Tories, you know. And I've, I've been talking to lots, again, lots of, lots of callers to this show, uh, lots of people on Twitter who are some sticking with the Brexit party saying Nigel's right, others saying, you know, Nigel's made a complete hash of it and he should yeah. actually uh, stop pretending that he's got any power here because he doesn't really. I think that's right. I mean, I do think what's significant is the Brexit party's um, splitting. I mean, we're seeing lots of Brexit party candidates standing down, yeah. saying they don't want to stand in the way of Boris Johnson actually delivering Brexit. Right. Which, um, you know, and Nigel Farage's message is, you know, Boris Johnson's Brexit isn't isn't really Brexit. Now, you know, there might be. And is he you know, right five, about that, in your view? Well, no, personally, no. Obviously, I don't, I don't. I don't agree with that at all. I mean, I think I think leaving the EU is Brexit. I thought Theresa May's. Uh, deal was Brexit. Yeah. Um, so obviously, I've got no sympathy for that argument at all. I mean, that's just daft. But there, you know, there might be a market for that out there. But I mean, I think it's only five, ten percent of the electorate. I mean, I just don't think the Brexit Party message um, has got enough uh, appeal. I mean, Nigel Farage was banking on the fact that everyone would be uh, accusing Boris Johnson of betraying Brexit by failing to get us out on the 31st of October. But nobody seems to be taking that line. They right. seem to think. You know, he, he failed because Parliament stopped him. And that the only way to deal with, uh, deal with that disappointment from the Brexiteers' point of view is to, is to return Boris Johnson with a majority. Yeah, absolutely. Let's have a listen to what Rebecca Long-Bailey had to say this morning, uh, reacting to what Ian Austin had said uh, to Julie Hartley-Brewer. Ian's got a fantastic record of being a Labour MP previously. He's been an independent for some time now. There's no secret of the fact that he dislikes Jeremy Corbyn immensely and that's putting it mildly um, and he's differed on, on some policy positions but certainly I mean to suggest that people should vote Conservative is, is very very saddening and I hope that you know when we win the next general election hopefully Ian's mind will be changed and he'll come back into the tent again and he'll, he'll believe in the Labour Party again and I don't see you know that the, the bridges have been burned as it were reasonably straight back there from the Labour front bench, um, which has been, I suppose, in different measures and different forms, uh, laughed at lately this week because of their explanations of their position on Brexit. <laughs> well, I think their position on Brexit is, is, is perfectly clear, but it's not, uh, it's not very honest. Well, because, it's clear, uh, but it doesn't make much sense, does it? No, it does. I think, I think it's perfectly, perfect, perfectly sensible to say, let the British people decide we don't, we don't have a view. I mean, I, I mean it's, it's a bit odd, but... I mean, I I mean are you seriously going to tell me that a party of government doesn't want to have a view on the biggest um, sort of issue yeah, of the day, no, but, and yet, no, but, and, that's, and that's an OK position to hold? Well, I think it could be. Um, you know, I mean, Harold Wilson did something rather similar in the, in, in the 1970s. But, I mean, I think what's wrong with it is, is that the Labour Party does actually have a view, but it's keeping it... Um, it's just it's not telling it us secret. what it is. <laughs> um, well, no, we know what it is. We know that the, it is a Remain party. We know 80% of its it? members are, are right. Remainers. We know that, you know, almost all of its MPs are Remainers. We know that Shadow Cabinet is, is predominantly Remainers. Um, you know, this, this, is, this is just a political device to try and pretend to some Leave Labour voters that, you know, the party, uh, the, the party rep wants to represent them as well. It doesn't, and I think that's, that that's what's wrong with this policy, not and, that yeah. it's not clear. And anecdotally, I think that, that the, the clarity of that is, is, is what might not help them in, in parts of the northeast of England and other places where they voted massively to leave. Yes, so I think, uh, think Labour is in, uh, in deep trouble 
in, in all sorts of places. And, and there's a very complacent view among some, uh, some Labour people that, you know, the northern working class won't, won't ever vote Tory. Um, you know, I think, I think they will. I think, uh, you know, we've seen, we've seen a poll in Workington, which is, uh, you know, classic uh, uh, Labour lever territory, yes. saying, uh, saying that people intend to vote uh, Conservative there. And I think that's going to happen right across yeah. the Midlands and the North. Yes, because I think there are uh, many people out there who now have a view, which is that if you want Brexit, you have to vote for the Tories. But Nigel yeah. Farage, of course, will argue against that. And in fact, he was in Workington yesterday. Uh, so we'll see whether they're little... Because they've had a little jump in the polls. And I know you don't like to talk about polls being too significant. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it's very hard to read, it seems to me. Well, no, I don't think it is. I mean, I think the polls are actually pretty clear at the moment. Um, but we mustn't... Uh, we mustn't. Uh, rely on them too heavily and we mustn't allow them to, to dominate our coverage and we mustn't allow them to distract us from, uh, from inspecting Labour Party policies properly and mm. thoroughly, which, which we as journalists didn't do last time. I mean, next week I expect either the Labour Party will publish its, its manifesto uh, and I suspect there's going to be a lot of complacency on the, uh, among Labour activists that it's going to be as popular as it was last time. But I mean, the thing is, they stuck a whole load of new spending commitments in there and uh, and confiscatory uh, taxation policies that I think are going to go down extremely badly. Mm. I, I, I hope uh, I hope journalists are going to do their job and uh, and analyse it thoroughly. Okay. Finally, we're going to be talking to Heidi Allen uh, in the next hour, John, uh, who's formed this uh, sort of uh, Remainer election pact in 60 seats to make sure that certain uh, candidates won't stand. There'll only be one Remain candidate standing. But, of course, they'll still be standing against Labour, uh, who have not yeah. joined the pact. So, in effect, no. they're kind of going against Labour's yeah. Remain policy as well, aren't they? Yes, I mean, I, th I think this Remainer Pact can be uh, can be overdone. I mean, you know, in most in most places, you know, the Greens either didn't stand last time, um, or, or got mm. you know a, a few percent of, of of the vote, and and Plaid Cymru in many places, you know, didn't didn't do uh, very well in 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 Wales. I mean, they they've got their strongholds, but I mean, it's not a, it's not a huge Remain alliance. I mean, the the point is, everyone knows that if you want. To, if you want to, uh, to remain, then you've got to vote either Labour um, or for one of the other non-Tory parties. Because, I mean, Labour are essentially delivering a remain uh, platform because yes. they want a referendum. And the only reason anybody wants a referendum, another referendum, is because they want to stop Brexit. Right. And I guess for some smaller parties, it's quite a handy way of saving a few quid if you don't have to <laughs> field quite so many <laughs> candidates, right? Well, indeed, yeah. No, the Greens will be saving... <laughs> saving lots of money. I mean, it's like money in the bank. Yeah. Well, they have to put it towards the hundred billion they're going to spend on saving the world if they become the government, which was I think that, possibly that the hundred billion is coming from you and me. Yeah, Mike. the great, the greatest election promise of all time. I think that one was. <laughs> very good, John. Thanks very much indeed. I'm sure we will be speaking again soon. John Rental, chief political commentator at the Independent, uh, a man uh, who has, he, as he himself called himself, a Blairite, uh, talking about Tom Watson, uh, the former Brownite, uh, of course, who's quit the Labour Party and quit politics altogether. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry. And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. 
Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Coming up a little bit later on on the show, Heidi Allen's going to be joining us to tell us about the Remain Alliance, which is being put together to try and stop uh, any Brexit-supporting MPs from getting into power uh, because they're going to try and stand only one Remain candidate uh, in each of uh, 60 different constituencies. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Let's go to the phones, though. 0344 499 uh, Michael, first of all, is in Northumberland. Hi, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. What would you like to say? Uh, well, as you, you see, I'm in the northeast of England. Yes. And I feel, feel uh, personally, and I think a lot of other people may feel the same, that when we go into, into the, polling, uh, the polling booth on December the 12th, yeah. uh, to be honest, the Brexit uh, debates become obfuscated again between the Brexit party and the Conservatives. Yes. And I think a lot of people are in a state of confusion uh, and I think the choice should be simple when we go into that polling booth to either decide between the Brexit Party or the Conservative Party. It's immaterial to me if Anne Whittacombe is sitting next door to Jacob Rees-Mogg. Uh, it doesn't make any difference. They're both Brexiteers. Yeah. And I'd rather, the point I'm trying to make is that we should have a Brexit Parliament. We've had a Remain Parliament for the last three to four years. And to have a Brexit Parliament that we, we should have a clear choice between either the Brexit Party or the Conservatives. But well, you, well, you kind of do, I suppose. But you kind of do, Michael. The difficulty, yeah. I suppose, is that if there is a confusion about whether you vote for the Brexit Party or the Tory Party, um, you know, who's going to win that seat? It might well be that Labour then gets the seat because the, bar, the, the Leave vote is split. Absolutely. And in the North East, I do feel, uh, which hasn't got a tradition of voting Conservative, that the Brexit party should be the choice, um, unless you have a very strong Brexiteer um, Conservative, which we happen to have in Berwick-upon-Tweed with Anne-Marie Trevelyan. So I, I, it's not difficult for me, because I will vote for her. Yes. But do you, do you mind the whether it's a Brexit without, with a deal or without a deal? Well, I think that, as we've seen in the last three to four years, the debate going on in Parliament... It would be a joy to have a similar debate but between Brexiteers in Parliament rather than the mm. recalcitrant Remain types who are trying to stop uh, Brexit altogether. Sure. And I think the differences should be sorted out after the election, but get into power yes. first and then sort out the differences. OK. Michael's great call. Thanks very much for making it. Let's talk to Jeff, who's in Hull. Hello, Jeff. 
morning, Mike. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, very well. How are you doing? These, these last couple of days have been broadcasting gold for you, mate. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm hopefully you're going to have another four weeks of it. <laughs> well, as I echo to a certain degree what the gentleman just said that was on. As you know, I'm from Kingston-upon-Hull, and yes. I can guarantee you a city that has always been staunchly Labour will not be Labour. I'll be surprised if they get a seat this time. The Labour Party in Hull ignored the wishes of 71,000 people who voted to leave. Yeah. And the, the Labour Party in Hull have completely ignored that. And another thing that the Labour Party have missed as well, let's forget Corbyn because he's very easily forgettable. But we, we have one very, very main thing that they've forgotten. Northeast of England, along with Liverpool, is one of the largest contributors to manpower going into the armed forces. And the armed forces will not support, 100% will not support Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn. Is anybody you... buying in Hull, uh, Jeff, the, the Labour offer, though, which is basically to give it back to the people, uh, who, uh, which they say is a defensible option on Brexit because they think the people should decide? No, everybody in Hull that I speak to, I can't speak for everybody, I'm very heavily involved in the rugby up here, so I get into the rugby clubs quite a bit. Yeah. And so you get an honest opinion when you're in the rugby clubs, and generally everybody thinks that it is one continual lie after another from Labour, and they don't actually know what they want. They're just actually saying what, what great gains the vote. Like yesterday, Jeremy Corbyn, for the first time, including Remembrance Day, had a poppy on. Yeah. Like, He's never worn a poppy before in his life. Well, listen, Jeff, it's a great call. Thanks very much for making it. I saw Jeremy Corbyn wearing a poppy actually the other day when he was in Parliament. So um, I don't know whether you're going to tell me that's the first time he's done it. Uh, but certainly he's been wearing one for a while. Now, what we're also asking you to do, uh, because of what Colin's new dictionary has done, is we want you to send us your favourite Brexit-related words. Because, of course, many people uh, have used the words Ramonas, Remainers. Uh, Mariners says, how about side of a bus? That's one of my favourites. And one uh, from Francis, or two from Francis, I like obfuscate and filibuster. Uh, these are certainly words that people are saying they never heard uh, before the whole Brexit debacle began. Let's speak to Sal Brinton now, President of Liberal Democrats. She's also the representative uh, of a, a new Unite to Remain alliance. Um, Sal, I suppose um, to get things off to a cheery start, why don't I ask you what your favourite Brexit-related word is? Discombobulate. <laughs> that is a great word. I do like discombobulate. That's tremendous. Very good. Best one yet, I would say. Now, tell us, tell us about the Unite to Remain. Uh, where did you get the idea from and when did you manage to sort of get it all agreed by three parties? Well, I think over the last few months in Parliament, it's become clear that MPs have want, who want to, uh, for us to remain in the EU, oh, it doesn't matter what party they come from, have started speaking out. And I think it's very much the beginning of a new style of progressive politics that's moving away from the old Punch and Judy, Red Tribe and Blue Tribe. Unite to Remain is three of those parties coming together to say, actually, we are all, we share the common goal of remaining in the EU. Uh, and to do that, we're going to be standing back for each other in some of the seats. And today we've announced the 60 seats that we're going to be doing that in this election, where we believe that by doing that, we will actually strengthen the chances of returning an MP who will support Remain and fight to Remain. Now, without... We're sorry, without looking at the individual constituencies, we can't really do that under no, the no, no, election rules. Um, have you... Have, what sort of realistically are you looking at as a target of those 60 seats that you can win? So, for the Liberal Democrats, um, of uh, the seats where the other two parties are standing back for us, 
29 are Conservative-facing seats that would deliver a hard Brexit to the country. 29 is a very, it's a significant number that would reduce Boris Johnson's uh, numbers in Parliament, and that's before we even start to get a majority. Right. So for us, it's very, very important because it will mean there's a stronger chance of certainly fighting for Remain, yeah. ensuring that there's a people's vote, and in our case, really fighting to make sure that we stay in the EU because we believe it's better for the country. OK. But as, as for those 29, I mean, what chance do you think you have realistically of getting any of them? Oh, they are our top target seats. It will make a difference for okay. us. Of course, it would make a difference for well for everybody, but I just wonder what your what your mm -hmm. chances are. But are the others are the other seats are thirty one other seats are they Labour held? Um, Labour held, uh, yes, they they, they are. Um, I'm just trying to think. There may be a couple of independents yeah. in there as well, but it's it, it's uh, the principal thing for us is about standing against parties that promote Brexit, and both Labour and the Conservative parties are on a Brexit platform. Labour are on a softer Brexit platform than, than the Conservatives, but actually we know that there are many, many voters who feel frustrated by the current first-past-the-post system and would very much support having a Remain candidate. And, and we had that in a by-election earlier in the year where Pride and the Greens stood back to the Liberal Democrats, which was successful. And when I was going round that constituency during the by-election, what was really interesting was the number of people who said, at last, parties prepared to work together. And I think, actually, from what I see on social media, one of the big complaints about politicians is that the parties refuse to work together. Well, today's Unite to Remain initiative is the first time we've had real, true progressive politics in the United Kingdom for 100 years, actually 101 years, because it was the 1918 election last time it happened. Right. And you say that you want to get away from tribal politics and red versus blue and all of that, but we've really just replaced tribal two-party politics with remain and leave politics, haven't we? Because that's become just as nasty, if not more nasty, in terms of the way that people talk to each other from opposite sides of the spectrum uh, than, than well, it ever did before. Well, I think the only way that we can change the tribal politics is by changing the face of what and who is sitting in Parliament. So one of the interesting things about today's launch is that the three parties and Unite to Remain were all represented by senior women politicians in the country. And I think that certainly changed the tone of the debate. And I think that it would also change some of the dialogue that's going on. You know, we've heard over recent days of many women politicians saying they're not prepared to stand again because of all the intimidation they're getting on social media. Well, it's down to us politicians to also start to change that tone. Unite to Remain wants to do that as well. I suppose um, the slight um, sort of fly in the ointment, if you like, though, is the fact that uh, people voted to leave the European Union uh, in the referendum in 2016. People voted for Brexit, but they didn't know what type of Brexit. And that's one of the reasons that Parliament is in this complete gridlock at the moment, is because that the... Well, that's not actually true, so It's not technically no, true. No, it, it, is no, it isn't. True. It's not. It is absolutely true. If you look at what's happened in Parliament, there are people who would support a soft Brexit, there are people who would support a hard Brexit, and there are people who would support Remain. There is no majority to deliver that. And but in that's in Parliament, that's not in the, the country. And since the referendum... Polls now show that there are many people whose views about Brexit have changed. They don't, not actually. Least because no, they, they, they don't. That's no, they not have, true. They absolutely, they absolutely have changed. No, if they haven't. look at the Leave polls, Leave or Remain polls, they have changed over the last two years, 
and they show that Remain has been in the lead. No, the most of the polls which are out now, Sal, and I'd, I'd like you to show me one that says that, because most of them show that the polling positions haven't really changed, and it's about the same. If there was a second referendum to be held tomorrow, basically, it would probably be about 52-48 again. But the other way, at least. No, it wouldn't. More. I don't know where you're seeing those. I have not seen that poll. But it's not a poll. I'm talking about the aggregation of polls over I the see. last two years. Right. So you can't point and, me and at I don't, one I don't particular mean adding poll. Them up. I mean, there's been a progressive increase of people who say that they would now vote Remain. That is certainly true. The polls are there. All right. What would, you say, what would you say to people who have put this question to me on social media, knowing that we were hoping to speak to, to Heidi Allen, but she was uh, detained, sadly? Um, no, well, she's but, being interviewed by somebody else. That's yeah, why. but she had promised to interview with us, so we feel a bit uh, miffed about that. But anyway, never mind. We won't be no-chairing anybody like Sky. Um, the point is this, right? Surely, uh, if you're limiting the choices of people at the polling booth... That is undemocratic, isn't it? Because what if somebody wants to vote for Plaid Cymru somewhere, but they can't because you've done a deal to pull their candidate? So many millions of voters across the country already say that the vote doesn't count in their seat because of the first-past-the-post system. And all three parties who are involved in Unite to Remain want to see proportional representation. So we think, actually, the only way to get that is by actually changing the face of politics and bringing PR in. Didn't we have we a referendum on that, that as well? Until, and we can't do that until we've had this election, which is about Brexit. And that's why we really want to make sure that people who want to remain can come behind one Remain candidate in 60. That's only 10% of the seats, but 60 seats across the country. And what about the fact that the Labour Party have now got policy which tells uh, their voters, certainly, that if they vote for the Labour Party, they will vote for uh, a government that will seek a better deal with the European Union and then offer it as a second referendum to the public? You're effectively going to try and stop them from being able to do that, right? Well, in making that statement, Labour have made it plain that they are a Brexit party. So even if they're offering a people's vote, their position is that they want a soft Brexit. And that's the problem, and that's why you know Labour aren't in Unite to Remain because they but are I not thought, the Remain party. But I thought you said that the polls are showing that the new vote would actually be to Remain. So why not and let that, them have it? And that is well. Um, Boris Johnson went for a general election, not a referendum. We are where we are. If we end up with a referendum, the Liberal Democrats and Plaid Cymru and the Greens will all be fighting to Remain. Okay, Sal, thank you very much indeed. Sal Brinton there, President of the Liberal Democrats, uh, who is uh, part of this new uh, Unite to Remain alliance, uh, which is going to be represented in 60 different seats around the country in the election on December the 12th, which will mean that if you are a voter for the Green Party or the Lib Dems or possibly Plaid Cymru, you might not be able to vote for the party of your choice because that particular party might not be represented in your particular seat. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that is what we should be doing at general elections. Do you? Let's talk to Harry, who's in Portsmouth. Hello, Harry. Oh, yes, hello. Uh, good uh, afternoon. Good this afternoon. Southern good afternoon, as opposed to, to the Scottish good afternoon. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's raining up there. No great surprise, I'm afraid. Oh, shame, yeah. Um, you're asking for what? You've got, uh, I think you've got a professional lexicographer coming on We later. certainly have, yes. We've got uh, Susie Dent coming on. Right, well, before I mention these words, I wonder what the dictionary definition is of the word respect, because my mind was blown by the usage that was made of that word. Yes. Well, I think and a lot of words during the whole Brexit process have been misused, haven't they? Like words like leave, words like remain, words like democracy, that kind of thing. Words like referendum. Yeah. 
There you go. I've looked, I looked that one up recently, and it's exactly what I thought it was, but it's not what the politicians think it means. Uh, so what does it actually mean? Well, it's a decisive vote by the... Po- well, I would say the populace. It, it's, a dis- it's, a, it's a general vote taken, you know, as we know, direct democracy. Yes. And it's a decisive vote. It's left. It's given to us by politicians. That's what the definition is in my dictionary. Yes. So it doesn't say, it's- for example, that it's um, a confirmatory vote no, or, or indeed no. possibly an advisory vote. I only heard that two weeks after the referendum. They, they started using the word advisory, and apparently the politicians were told that it was the clerk's fault. Oh, yeah. When they were drafting the bill, they put, put the wrong, wrong... They drafted it wrongly. That was the phony excuse that came out. Oh, really? So they drafted what wrongly, exactly? The, the bill, they should never... The, the word advisory was never originally not supposed to be in there, and when it was queried... Yeah. It was, I think it's Cameron, he blamed it on the clerks. They actually blamed it on those clerks. Yeah. Well, maybe they just wanted to leave it in there so they'd have a get-out clause in case it didn't go the way they planned. Yeah, right. I've got, I've got some words here. Okay. Uh, there's klaxon, of course. Klaxon, yes. You're fond of. I like the word um, klaxon. I like the sound of the klaxon as well. We haven't got yeah. a resignation klaxon on at the moment because obviously there's no government to resign from. <laughs> yeah, I think you, I think you need to hijack a proper ship siren from down down here in Pompey. Okay, that's a good idea. Um, blue passport. Yes. Uh, no deal better than a bad deal. I know these are phrases. That's okay. We're allowing those. Right. Yellow hammer. Yes. <laughs> Operation Brock. Yep. No hard border. Yep. Purist, I thought I used it for, uh, you know, an early user of it, but I think other people had used it. Mm. I'm thinking of converting purist from um, purist to puritanical or even purityrannical. Because, That's good. You know, the way it's going. Um, no, well, you well, know what? Nobody's mentioned Brexiteer yet, I don't think. Well, I, I, I thought somebody would have gone for that already. Yeah, yeah no, I don't um, think they have. We've got Ramona going in there, but I don't know if Brexiteer is actually there. There's, uh, there's Lexiteer, which is a particular style of Brexit. Yeah, which one is that? I've forgotten. Well, that's a Labour style one, Oh, that's isn't right. It? OK, right. Lexiteer, um, yes. And my own invention, which I mentioned to Christo some months back, Mucketeer. Mucketeer? The people who seek to muck up Brexit. Jason Mucketeer used to play for Liverpool. Oh, I didn't know it was a proper surname. <laughs> no, it's Mucketeer, actually. Sorry. I'm just being an idiot now. I've just, I've, I've, I've gone full idiot on you. Uh, never <laughs> Endem. I think that was a favourite of yes. Julia Hartley Brewers. Never Endem. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that. Prorogue. What about uh, that? Which one? Prorogue. Yeah, I've got that. I've got that was going to be my next one. Meaningful vote. Meaningful, yes. Like it. I mean, you know. Obviously, that's what they call it, but normally, when I when I vote, I'm not worried whether it's meaningful or not. It's <laughs> well, just a vote. No, listen, when you vote, it's not meaningful. That's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got I've got um, another another couple that uh, made up myself. Okay. Referendum. That's where they want to bore us so much. We never want another referendum. <laughs> right. Uh, Dream because that's what we're we're expected to do. Yeah. Re-referendum right. because they're not happy with the first one. Right. <laughs> or and refresherendum because they're still not happy and they think we've forgotten what, how to do it. I love it. These are all great. Hey, Harry, these are great. Brilliant. Absolutely. I'm going to put all of these to the uh, uh, to the expert coming on, Susie Denton, right. who's of course the lexicographer of Countdown. I love you. 
There's nothing like uh, talking about words, is there? Not just using them, but talking about using them and then talking about how we use them because I love words. Uh, it's what I do for a living, basically. I used to write them a lot more than I do now. Now I just speak them, uh, which is a lot easier than writing them in some ways, but I write them as well. I'm going to talk to Susie Dent now, lexicographer, of course, from Countdown's Dictionary Corner, uh, the woman who perhaps is even more in love with words than I am. Susie, a very <laughs> good afternoon to you. Welcome back. Thanks, Mike. Nice to talk to now, you. Now, we've, we've been asking people to kind of send us their favourite words and phrases from, from this whole Brexit sort of madness that we've been going through for three years. And, and we've had some yeah. great ones. And I've got one here from a guy called Archie. He says, how about unbiased speaker? <laughs> because these are all <laughs> phrases and words like prorogation that really, yeah. until this moment in time, we've never really used, have we? Uh, no, well, um, proroguing it goes back to the um, 14th and no, 15th and 16th century. So um, you're right; it's kind of flown below the radar for um, half a millennium, really. And, and, um, and, and can we, is it is, sorry? I was going to say, is it permissible to use these words in different ways? Like, for example, if I'm going out for dinner with someone and I'm not enjoying it, can <laughs> I prorogue the dinner and disappear? Definitely can, because that's the way that English evolves. You know, it's, it, in fact, you'll find that most. Um, of the words on, um, I, think, I think we're talking about the Collins word of the year today. Yes. Most of the words on their list are actually old words that are being repurposed in some way. They're not entirely, um, you know, new coinages. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. <laughs> so, um, yes, definitely you can use it in, in many ways. And who knows, it might get lots of 2019 um, entries outside of politics. Yeah, and it is amazing how much this, this conversation has dominated our kind of culture in the last few years. Certainly this year, if, if not before, certainly this year, it's been practically the only thing that anybody talks about. You know, you get on a bus, you hear people talking about Brexit. Yeah. You go in the pub, you hear people arguing about it, you know. And it's not just... Those of us. I mean, I spoke to somebody the other day, and it was somebody that I wouldn't have thought was that interested in politics. And he was saying, you know, I, I, I watch the BBC Parliament channel now more than anything else. I know. Uh, I think a lot of us do. Um, yeah, and that's in some ways, I think that's a really good thing. Obviously, that we are so immersed in the whole debate that we are much more aware of, of what's going on. But um, you know, whether or not we're now too aware is a, is a different matter, I suppose. But it's definitely reflected in language. And, it would actually be quite hard to find a better snapshot of preoccupations, I think, than yes. the words that are spiking in that particular year, you know, far more than pictures or um, or photographs. So, yeah, they're really good indicators of where we are. Um, uh, the Brexican has been going strong for at least two or three years now. Oh, yeah. And also there's a bit of word fascism going on at the moment as well, which, I, which I'd like to put to you, because I've had <laughs> several conversations with lots of different MPs, and some of them, um, mostly Lib Dems, funnily enough, will say things like, oh, I wish you wouldn't use that kind of language. You know, they're kind of trying to make you use language uh, which they want you to use rather than the words that you choose to use yeah i think um in some ways politics has, has always been um about sort of you know verbal sidestepping it, it kind of i suppose by necessity has been that way particularly when you know politicians are being interviewed because it's it's a sort of brand exercise in many ways as well and you're, you're trying to steer it towards the language that, that you wish to express but yeah vocabulary is being pleased and in some ways you know that is a really good thing um obviously and one of the words on the list this uh, this year is um non-binary yeah. big debate about pronouns etc the thing that i always strikes me though is that um you know we have these debates and we see them as being incredibly new but in fact the debate as to whether it should be he or she um, or they has been going on for, again, 400 years. And, you know, people, grammarians in the 19th century were really up in arms about the fact that people were beginning to use they for a single person. So then it was more about grammar. Now it's more about identity. But, you know, obviously we need to be careful with language um, very much. But you're right, there's much more There's much more awareness of its, of its power. And certainly in politics, there was 
you know, a, a phase of really violent, aggressive language, which wasn't particularly great either. And it's very easy to kind of pick that up and then transfer it to daily life. So, you know, I think that policing is a good thing as long as you don't take it too far. Yeah, I think so. But it, I suppose it's a question of, as well, who's making the rules, you know, because if it's people who are... Uh, you know, expert at twisting and, 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 and sort of mm. mangling words for their own devices, you know, which is what a lot of lawyers do. And we, we're also in this yeah. time now where we, we're being, we're having more and more decisions made by the law courts, by, by judges, by people who also can kind of almost redefine a word and tell you <laughs> that it means something completely different to what you thought it meant. Yeah, um, that's true. I mean, the only solace I think we can take is that, um, you know, the word spin doctor, the, the phrase spin doctor is, is very old and yes. predates all of this. Um, and likewise, the arguments about sort of legal obfuscation and things. I mean, Dickens was writing about it, wasn't he? So, um, yes, but it, of course, it can, you're right, it can be troubling. And, and language is an enormously powerful um, weapon. And it does need to be sort of moderated and, and you know, used carefully. But I think the, the sort of most striking thing about the, the words of the year is that have been chosen in the last couple of years is that they're so serious and um, you know this is in some ways they just make your heart feel a bit heavy um, as opposed to, to ones that were chosen in previous years which were you know just quite playful or we had selfies and um, we had photo bombing we had um, simples I think simples yes. was the word of the year at one point so um, you know that kind of exuberance has been lost a little bit and um, we're not you know climate strike the expression this year I mean, almost inevitable, given the fact that it spiked in in the graphs on our databases so you know so highly and so dramatically. Yes. Um, but it would be nice to see a return to some fun and to some wordplay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, funnily enough, I was reading uh, the statement that was put out by the eleven thousand um, scientists who have just made a kind of statement about the climate emergency. Yeah. They've actually admitted, which I think is interesting, that they've used they've changed the phrase "climate change" to "climate mm. emergency" because it actually sounds worse. And they've admitted yeah. that and said, well, we want people to pay more attention, so we're now calling it a climate emergency, even though, technically speaking, nothing's actually changed. Yes, I've had climate, climate crisis as well as, an, as another sort of shift. Um, I think it was somebody actually um, a while ago who was a, an advisor to um, President Bush in the US who was saying, don't call it global warming anymore because that's too scary. Yeah. Call it climate change, which sounds like you're just going from Pennsylvania to Arkansas or something. Um, <laughs> So, you know, you're, you're right. It, the, the sort of feelings we get are very much engendered by our, cho our choice of words, and that's why they matter so much to politicians yes. and to people who are, you know, wanting to raise awareness. Absolutely. A milkshake um, to have in a dictionary as rather than uh, uh, a noun to describe a drink is actually mm. uh, now described as to throw a milkshake or similar drink over public figure to humiliate them. So to milkshake somebody is now, I suppose, a verb. It is, and people hate verbing, and they always blame American English for, um, for the verbing, like yeah. podiuming and med meddling and things. Um, and uh, I sound like a one-track record here, but um, Shakespeare was criticised <laughs> for verbing, Keats was criticised for verbing, um, and we do it all the time. You know, so many of the verbs that we use were, were hated in their day as well. Um, so, yes, that is just a really good example, again, of how English moves forward. Very rarely is it a brand, a brand new invented coinage, and far more often it's playing around with words, changing parts of speech, um, and, uh, you know, coming up with blends um, like bromance, famously, right. or, or other things like that. That is pretty much... Uh, those are the main mechanisms by which language moves forward at the moment. And if you have a dictionary or you run a dictionary, and this is going to sound like a, perhaps a very stupid question, if you add more words in, do you have to take some out? 
in order <laughs> so that you don't at all um nowadays no because um obviously most are online so you will find the most up-to-date dictionaries um online rather than in print so the print cycle is a lot slower than the online cycle right um so far fewer words are going out um and in the oxford english dictionary which is what i consult every day that's the sort of grand dam of dictionaries really um which takes you right back to the first meaning of a word um, back in whatever century it was, it once a word goes in there, it never ever goes out. So that's a permanent record of the language, um, right. which is why I love it. And um, as far as your kind of um, words that go out of usage are concerned, do they tend to be based around something that we used to do that we don't do anymore? You know, like, I don't know, if you were describing riding in some kind of um, a ship that was, you know, not the kind of ship that we ride around in anymore. Is it? it I mean, when do words kind of fall <laughs> yeah. out of favour, I suppose? Yes, old, old technology, um, yes, to some extent. Um, I mean, they tend to be, the ones that fall out tend to be really obscure and ones that, you know, because people always think it's going to be really exciting to get a list of what's gone away, but they tend not to be the most exciting ones. And in fact, old technology we really hold on to. So we still talk about dialing a phone or hanging up on someone, um, you know, or some people might talk about changing the linen or whatever, when in fact we don't use those things at all anymore. We no longer have phones that we literally kind of put back on, on its hook. So we tend to linguistically hold on to these um, to these technologies even as they've completely moved on in, in a physical sense. Yeah, funnily enough, I was listening to the radio this morning and somebody talked about uh, Tom Watson throwing in the towel. And I thought, yeah. no, I haven't heard that for ages. You know, it's not something no. you hear very often anymore. No, that's true, actually. Um, I think boxers do still throw in the towel, don't they? They well, do, yeah, they yeah. do. Yeah, so we still have loads of um, sporting metaphors um, going around. But I love the way that English sort of dips in and out of fashion and sometimes they're really surprises. So I remember when one word of the year um, was inescapable really within, I think it was 2004 and it was Chaz, which just a horrible word and exploded onto the onto the scene um, in that year because of a, a website that was kind of criticising people. But, um, you know, that was over 150 years old. It was a Roman right. word. Um, so I just find it fascinating how we have these ebbs and flows and, you know, cool was first recorded in, um, I think, the end of the 19th century in English public school, something with cool. Um, and again, that re-emerged in the jazz era of the sort of 1940s and 50s in America. So it's just, for a lexicographer, it's just the most fascinating yes. thing to watch. Well, as the father of teenage children, it's also fascinating <laughs> to see what they come up with whenever they're describing things. I go, what? And inevitably, it's a word which we know, but they're using it in a completely different way. You know, like I sick. Know. Or, uh, exactly. you know, or bad or, or, you know, it actually doesn't mean bad, it means good, you know. Exactly, um, yeah, no, kids, kids love to do that. They just sort of love to flip things to be subversive and that's the way slang's always worked, you know. That's just, let's take the word and make it um, mean something completely different so authorities have got no idea what we're talking yeah, about. exactly right. Um, and it's the fastest moving area of language for that reason. Now, if only there was a podcast that we could listen to <laughs> that would have some kind of description of vocabulary, do you think there is oh. one? Thank you for mentioning it. Um, yes, there is well, there's one that I do with um, Giles Brandreth. Oh, great. Something, rhymes, something rhymes with purple um, because something does rhyme with purple, which is the word purple to okay. walk with a, link, uh, a limp. Um, and it's just, we just have fun. And the reason, the reason I love mentioning it is I think it's the most me thing I've ever done um, because I'm not, I don't think I've ever been the most natural TV personality. Um, and then I like to float. You haven't done too badly, though, have you? No, I mean, it's the format of the show that it's just, a, you know, it's just a star on Instagram, right. really. Um, but, yes, it's just it's just great. And we just have fun in my kitchen normally, and we just talk about things like this. Um, you know, words that are, are bubbling under, words that are, are fading away, 
um, some of my favourite etymologies and that kind of thing. OK, brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Susie, for taking some time to talk to us. Uh, Susie Dent there from Countdown, but also host of the Something Rhymes With Purple podcast. If you like words, you'll like that. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.